Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at MarksDailyApple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at PrimalBlueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Elisa Vitti. She's an integrative nutritionist, hormone expert, and best-selling author of Woman Code, and she teaches women how to use their hormonal and neurochemical patterns to create extraordinary lives. She's the founder of flowliving.com, F-L-O-Living.com, which is a virtual destination for women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s to learn how to naturally balance their hormone and reproductive issues with her five-step dietary process that treats root cause of endocrine dysfunction and so much more. Welcome to the show. So I first heard about your book through Mark Sisson's daughter, Devin, many years ago, and she was uh, going through some stuff and was like, hey, this this book is really amazing. And then I was at Lisa Bilyeu's house for a party a month ago, and she put your new book um, into the In the Flow, F-L-O, into our goodie bag. And I was like, here's this woman again. I can't wait to talk to her. You have an interesting story. You, there's so much great stuff in both of your books. It's very detailed. There's no way we can cover all of that in an hour. But to start, tell us, how did you even, you had your own issues, but how did you get to the point where this was your main topic of discussion was really menstrual cycles? Yeah. I, do I love hormones so much? I, <laughs> I mean, I think it really comes down to the fact that when you've been deprived of something, um, you know, you really appreciate what it is that you're, you're missing. And then when you are able to get it back, you do want to help the other people who are maybe experiencing that same thing, that same missing out. Um, so that's really, I think how it came to be that I, you know, in my teens and basically from the age of 12 to 22, when everybody else was lamenting, their monthly curse. I only had a period maybe six times. A couple of those were chemically induced with synthetic hormones. And I, you know, went from doctor to doctor asking to sort of understand what was wrong with my body, that it wasn't not just producing a regular cycle, but that it also wasn't developing properly you know, you know, in those teenage years, like what was going on and and why was this affecting my weight, my mood, my skin, my ability to live my life? Like what was happening? Why, why is this happening? And to get no answers, to get no treatment, to just be left to suffer for a decade, um, you know, is a, is an experience that is transformative, right? As, as transformative as was my healing journey, And the ability to have agency over my body and to understand that that's possible for any woman, um, it, it, those two things combined, I think really lit a fire within me to make sure that, uh, nobody else had to go through this because it turns out that any hormonal suffering that you're going through is mostly, uh, due to either lack of education and information, um, or, uh, you know, it's just unnecessary because the body is designed, the female body is designed to be 
uh, optimal and efficient. And it's really because we are um, unknowingly disrupting so much of our biological systems. And I'll, which is why I actually ended up writing the second book, um, it, that we end up having problems that we need not have. And, and it's, it's uh, something that I'm really passionate about to make sure that women understand that all the toxic mythology about you know, your period is supposed to be painful and PMS is normal and, uh, you know, it's a curse and there's nothing you can do and hormones are mysterious and unpredictable and unreliable. All of that is, uh, sort of weird propaganda. It has absolutely no reality in, um, scientific fact. And, uh, there's so much you can do to ha- to, engage in a relationship with your self-care and your body such that your hormones become balanced naturally and easily and that you can really have your life back because your hormones affect everything. I know this firsthand from that decade of them impacting absolutely every aspect of my life. And when you have things working and you get into the flow of your hormones, then of course you can get into the flow of your life. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, you had a similar experience, like with PCOS diagnosis, I did too, although it was a misdiagnosis. And, you know, into the first question, uh, in a minute on this, which is, most doctors are just going to look to patchwork a symptom, right? They're not yeah. looking to do what we're talking about. And um, I've had my struggles with it. I mean, I used to have horribly painful periods at the point where I would be just, I mean, out for days with cramps, completely debilitated. Um, when I look back, I was probably hypothyroid then, you know, now that I know what I know. When I was misdiagnosed with PCOS, I was hypothyroid. No one looked into that. They just, again, were going to try to treat and patchwork it up. And one of the things that one of the doctors tried to patchwork me up with, and this is one of the first myths here, this myth about birth control regulating your period. And I'd mm-hmm. like you to tell us about your experience with some of the side effects. My, I'm, here's the thing. I'm not against birth control morally or ethically. I, I, I've t- taken it in my life, but I am completely against it for women. <laughs> I just, to me, it's a medication that manipulates our bodies into something it really shouldn't be doing. And that's why it does have these side effects. And like you said, there are so many other ways and routes to go first at the very least. So let's talk about this myth of birth control and what happened to you with the side effects were pretty astounding. Oh, yeah. So I was on it for 10 days, and I lost vision in one eye and had a cardiac episode. So I'm not a candidate for synthetic hormones, let's put it that way. Um, And those are side effects that are possible. Um, There's uh, lots of sad stories about uh, women using birth control and having really serious side effects. There's different versions of them. Um, there, uh, there's a long legacy of class action lawsuits against these, these, um, you know, different delivery systems. And so I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but what I will say is, uh, you and I are clearly on the same page, which is that I think, um, a woman's ability to choose, uh, you know, how she controls her reproductive, uh, function is a hundred percent her right. And she should have the easiest access to any tool that she desires to do that. However, the conversation that has evolved in the past 30 or so years about utilizing this um, medication uh, 
which is really to put a woman into a state of artificial infertility, right? Um, or chemically induced infertility. And that, that was what it was created for. Uh, it, it then, because there's, there's no research being done on women, you know, the women are left out of medical research and then there's not enough research being done on actual specific conditions, especially those in the menstrual, uh, category. Um, we, in, in the absence of any other, you know, practical medical dispensation that you could get from a doctor, right? Because you go to the gynecologist, if you have anything wrong with you, they're going to tell you to either, well, that it could all be in your head, um, or that they don't have a test to give some sort of direct diagnosis, as in the case of many women with endometriosis, for example, it's very hard to get a clear-cut diagnosis. Um, a lot of women go, on average, seven years before they get a diagnosis, uh, from their gynecologist for things like PCOS or fibroids or endometriosis. But then when you do have the diagnosis, they, if there is not an emergent, uh, you know, surgical procedure that can be done, then they're going to make, just e either do nothing, right. Or they're going to start prescribing the birth control pill, which is kind of what started happening about 30 years ago. It's like, oh, well, you know, if we, if we, disable all of the hormonal action in a woman's cycle, which is what the pill does, it shuts it off, um, then the theory was that should get rid of the symptoms at so long as she's taking that medication, right? And it is not a cure. It is, and in fact, the bleed that you have when you're on that medication is just a breakthrough bleed. And, and it was put in place, those placebo pills were put in place after, you know, a, a back when the medication was originally created, uh, because of focus groups, women were really uh, disconcerted at the idea of not seeing that monthly bleed, because they had been so accustomed to it all their lives, you know, and, and of course, when the pill was first being prescribed, it was prescribed to housewives who, you know, in their 40s did not want to have a sixth or eighth child, you know, and so um, <laughs> they put in that placebo week, so that those women could feel comforted, like, oh, okay, I'm still having a period. But in fact, that is a hundred percent, not what is happening. You are being, um, chemically rendered infertile. Um, so you do not ovulate, you do not menstruate. And then to boot the medication itself in order for your body to, uh, package it up, metabolize it and get it out of the body. Um, it, it depletes massive amounts of micronutrients, um, that you're taking in through your food that you, would want to have in good quantity to, to keep yourself healthy. And it also disrupts your gut microbiome. So not only does it not fix what is wrong with your hormones and your period and, or your period, um, but then it will make you, uh, sicker from a functional medicine point of view quietly without you noticing it over time. And a lot of women who go off of this medication um, will say that they just don't feel the same and, and that can linger for a long time. And, and so there's been conversations around, um, you know, sort of this sort of uh, birth control pill 
um, or device uh, syndrome that can develop. And that's the syndrome of massive micronutrient depletion, gut disruption, sex hormone binding, globulin um, suppression. So you disrupt the libido. Uh, and then of course, mood destabilization, where mm-hmm. we know that a lot of women who just even at the onset of taking the pill have a massive risk for developing depression, clinical depression that then requires them to be put on a secondary medication so that they can stay on the birth control medication, uh, like an SSRI. So it's, it's and, I, and I don't pretty, mean to laugh, but it's bad. like a patchwork upon a patchwork, right? And, yeah. you know, it's funny. I've, I've, I've tried all sorts of different kinds of um, birth control pill many years ago. I mean, not, not in a long time, but, you know, in my youth. And uh, I felt unlike myself every single time. I was emotional. I had extra padding on me. I didn't feel right. I lost my sex drive, which what the hell then is the whole point? You know, it's just... And every time I would go off it, I'd be like, oh, just feel like a normal again, you know? And one of the things I've read too, and I find it to be an interesting theory is the fact that as well, because of, you know, these, these primal instincts and hormones and our fluctuations throughout the month, that if you're on the pill, you might be making an incorrect choice in a mate. You know what I'm talking about that? Yeah. The, I've, I've written about it extensively, the sweaty t-shirt study. There's lots of things. Yes. It, cha- it <laughs> yeah. changes your ability to, attr- to be, uh, to feel attracted to a, um, a immunologically diverse partner. So what pheromones do for you is help you feel attracted to someone who is, um, from an immune system point of view, the most different from your own. And the reason why that's extremely advantageous is that if you then um, reproduce with that person, (laughs) um, you know, your offspring is going to have a huge advantage from an immunological point of view, right? So you're going to have the healthier child because you're attracted to a partner who, who is immunologically diverse to you. When you take synthetic birth control, it changes your brain structurally. In fact, Dr. Sarah Hill just wrote a new book that I think is essential reading for anyone who is on the pill, um, talking about how you are literally changed, like who you are becomes different. You are not the same person when you take this medication. It's mind altering. Yes. And, um, And so, yeah, you'll attract a mate who is immunologically very similar to you. And then you, two things can happen. You can go off the medication. Let's say you get married to this person. You go off the medication. You find like little strange things like you don't like the way your partner smells all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. or you find yourself less attracted to this person. You don't get along as easily. And then, um, which is, you know, more challenging is that you can find that it's difficult to conceive um, because of, again, these immunological factors that are so, so critical for successful um, embryo development. So it's, it's a serious thing to take into consideration. And, you know, we can talk at length about birth control, but I think the moral of the story is if you're having PCOS, difficult periods, heavy bleeding, uh, endometriosis, fibroids, ovarian cysts, the solution is, is not to take that medication. The solution 
and you know, which I describe in my first book, Woman Code, is a step is it is the addressing the disrupted endocrine system in a in the correct sequence, right? And so this is the foundation of the flow protocol that we use at Flow Living and and in all of our programs to help you if you have an active diagnosis. And that's what's so groundbreaking about it is um, you don't need to do a a million different things based on each condition. In fact, when we look at root cause medicine, it's really about, well, how does the body, how does this system, in, in this case, the endocrine system function? And, and then what is the approach that it requires in order to restore itself to homeostasis? And so that is what we do by taking you through a process of blood sugar stabilization, adrenal support, and estrogen um, you know, support and gut microbiome balancing. And those steps of that sort of triage process very quickly uh, brings the endocrine system back into balance. And then what happens is the symptoms resolve without you having to treat the symptoms. I've never, you know, I had cystic acne all over my face, chest and back that you could not even cover with thick concealer. I was obese. I was, you know, I'm five foot six. I was over 200 pounds. I wasn't menstruating at all. I was severely depressed, severely insomniacal. I could not function in my life. And by taking on these steps, um, I watched this extraordinary transformation without doing anything for my skin directly right? Which I had, by the way, tried, of course, in my teenage sure. years, all the lotions and potions and, you know, tried all the, the diets and you try all the things to spot treat. The body does not heal from the outside in, it heals from the inside out. And so once I um, put this protocol together, it was really remarkable to see my skin clear up and my weight come off. And I mean, I've kept off this weight for 20 years and, and then to have my ovulation and, and menstruation restored, um, you know, it's, it's just exciting to be able to share this version of reality to women because you've only been given this one narrative that's, that's negative, but also medically inaccurate, um, that there's nothing you can do. There's, I mean, I've been taking care of women now for 20 years in our, in our center, our virtual center. And the, my story is not unique, which is wonderful news to share. Any woman can uh, bring herself back into hormonal balance. You know, there's, there's so many things to touch on in what you just said, but what comes to mind is sort of, well, you know, mm, your book is so in depth and it goes through so many different things like circadian rhythm and, you know, stress. Oh, the new book, yes. <laughs> yeah, the new book. Sorry, Flow Living. Yeah. The, yeah. Sorry, In the Flow. In the Flow. Um, the reason yeah. why I wanted to write this new book was because uh, I had been really flabbergasted by something that I was observing. So, you know, again, I've been taking care of women. I've been a pioneer in this conversation for 20 years. And 20 years ago, people looked at me like I had three heads when I would say, well, we can actually balance hormones with foods. <laughs> you know, uh, hmm. now it's a lot more uh, mainstream, thank goodness. Uh, but I was noticing five years ago, there was this interesting phenomenon of uh, more con like it was like period positivity time on social media, on digital websites, digital media platforms. I was being invited to um, be part of 
lots of articles that were talking about menstruation for the first time in all of my career. And, and we had millennials free bleeding on Instagram. And it was, it was like a, a menstruation renaissance. It was wonderful. <laughs> you know, for somebody who's like, this is like my world. I was like, wow, you know, what, what a historical time to be uh, a woman, because this is certainly the first time in all of human history that we're having and engaging in a global conversation that is mainly positive and empowering about menstruation. So I said, great, here we go. Everybody's going to start to get healthy. And I've been watching since I started that, that clock <laughs> five years ago, more access and more content should equal more healthy women. Yes. Right. This is only logical math. One would hope. And, and unfortunately, I've been also tracking the data, which sort of spurred me. There are two things that spurred me to write this book, but this was the, the main one. Um, and the data that I found is that 47% of women are struggling with hormone issues. And when you compare that with the cohort of men struggling with hormonal issues, it's something like under 10%. And I asked myself, what is going on? What's, what is more deeply going on? Like I, when I wrote woman code, I wanted to know, well, what is the root cause of any menstrual disorder? And that I answered in that book. And in this book, I wanted to understand why are women suffering more than they should be fundamentally? And why is it like, why is there this gender distinction, right? If, if everybody was getting sicker, that'd be one thing, but it's women are getting more sick. Why is that? So what I discovered um, was pretty shocking and exciting and led me to write this new book in the flow. And the first thing was just how, how severely left out of medical fitness and nutrition research women are, right? Um, to, to the extent that in 1996, the National Institute of Health set up a special task force committee because they know that not having enough women in human clinical trials increases female mortality rates, right? So they, they, they put out a special task force, please include women in human clinical trials. In 2016, right, the, the status report was that progress has been slim to none. Mm. In fitness and nutrition, it's the same story where everything is being researched on male biology. Sometimes postmenopausal women are included. Um, and all of the conversation, I mean, the, the, the food and fitness industry is a massive one. And a lot of the consumer base is female, but all of that information is, turns out not only not just relevant, but, uh, very contraindicated. And I'll get into that in a minute. Um, so that, that started to kind of give me a picture of, okay, well, it makes sense if there's no um, appropriate treatments or research being done on these, on these hormonal issues. And then there's no special treatments being developed. Okay. That would explain why they're suffering more than men. Um, and then also if they're being left out of food and fitness research, um, but then diets and regimes are being prescribed as universally applicable and women are trying them, of course, that's going to be disruptive. Um, okay. But then there was the second discovery, which is this, I mean, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that we're not educated about this, that, that I have lit. I, I mean, it's a little shocking to say that I've written the first book to ever use this phrase 
so it turns out that women have a second biological clock and it is called the infradian rhythm. So you have a circadian rhythm like everyone else does, but from your first period to your last, you have a second biological clock and this infradian rhythm, though we experience it over the course of the cycle, right? Just like we experience the circadian rhythm over the course of 24 hours, it affects way more than just like in the circadian rhythm sense, it affects more than just when you wake up and when you go to bed, right? It affects other systems of the body. The infradian rhythm affects way more than just your period. Um, and when you're bleeding and when you're ovulating, it affects your brain, your metabolism, your immune system, your stress response system, your microbiome, and your reproductive system. So that then answered my question. These two sides of this coin, when there isn't any research being done, <clears throat> And we're being um, marketed information that says, oh, do intermittent fasting, do this, eat the same calories every day, do all this stuff that's the same, um, that is only applicable in the male biological rhythmic point of view, that actually ends up disrupting this very special infradian biological rhythm. And that is then why you will have symptoms that don't seem connected, whether that's cognitively or uh, mood-wise with how it impacts your brain, with your metabolism, your weight, um, with anxiety, with stress, with your microbiome, with your fertility, with your sex drive, all of these six, six key systems of the body become suboptimal because we're not taking care of ourselves in the, in the way that this infradian rhythm needs, right? Like, and I guess I would just draw the comparison that you know, for example, with the circadian rhythm, that it would be very detrimental for your health if you were to sleep for five minutes and stay up for three days. And if you, <laughs> and if you did that on a continuous basis, like, you know, if you did it once, you wouldn't feel good, right? For those bunch of, for maybe a week. Um, but you could recover, um, over the course of maybe a month. It would take quite a bit to recover from that. Um, but if you did it every third night for months on end, not only would you actually develop a disease, right, like hypertension or diabetes, you could actually make yourself sick short term, but then you would set yourself up for massive inflammation in the body long term and longer term complications. Um, so we know that that's been well researched. What hasn't been uh, well researched is the infradian rhythm. Um, and I went through great pains and extensive, exhausting research to dig up absolutely every bit of research that I could on the, on sort of how our hormones impact these six key systems of the body so that you could start to appreciate, um, what's at stake here for you. And then of course I created, I didn't want to just paint the picture around, this big problem of why women are sick and we don't, you know, we don't know about the infrading rhythm and we're being left out of research. I did also want to create a solution and that solution is called the cycle syncing method. And, and simply put, that is the method by which you eat, exercise and organize your time to support the infradian rhythm. Right. And again, if you've had any experience changing your lifestyle to support your circadian rhythm, it's a similar process, but it's very specific for this infradian rhythm that only you have as a female. Yeah, it's really interesting. Give us a, give us a, a couple of examples of one, like 
eating for a particular phase, because you talk about, you know, how to eat for phases. And then you even mentioned, you know, hey, creative process with the different, with your cycle and the different phases. Can you just give us a taste of like one or two examples of what those might look like in a particular phase? Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I want to sort of start before I give you the what I want to tell you the why, because I'm one of those people who needs to know why I'm doing something before I do it. So for example, in, the, as you go through the four phases of your cycle, and in case you don't know what those are, you have a follicular phase, an ovulatory phase, a luteal phase, and a bleeding phase. Um, and those are, those comprise the four phases of your cycle. The, the ratio of the hormones that are unique to each of those phases mark the timing of the of that part of the infradian rhythm and also stimulate those six key systems of the body in different ways so let's zero in on metabolism and why that then requires you to change what you're eating so in the first half of your cycle, the follicular and ovulatory phases, your metabolism slows down. So you can and should eat fewer calories. Um, you also have, and we'll also just, I'll throw in the fitness piece here too, because I want to talk about the stress response system as well. You also have lower resting cortisol. So you can also do higher intensity working out um, and the combination of eating fewer calories because your body does not need it and increasing your physical activity will cause you to have more stable blood sugar, uh, lower cortisol levels, efficient use of fat storage and optimal, uh, gain of lean muscle mass. So that's like a, so just knowing that that's the actual science, is a really important thing because in this now famous food flow chart in chapter four, um, you're going to see that the, that I've based it on two things, right? One, the caloric needs that shift across the infradian rhythm based on this metabolic uh, impact of the infradian rhythm and uh, what's happening with those specific hormonal ratios. So for example, in the ovulatory phase, um, not only are, are you eating lighter, you're having things like uh, you know, you're having your fewer calories, but you're also because there's this massive spike in estrogen that is unsurpassed at any other moment of the cycle. Um, so biggest, biggest blood serum concentration of estrogen at this phase, I inc I have you eating more raw based meals, right? So lots of salads, lots of smoothies. Why? Because the glutathione that you will have in your system, and then of course, all the vitamin C and vitamin A from all these rainbow plants and fruits are going to supercharge your liver to support it doing its phases of detoxification to metabolize estrogen quickly. And the fiber from all this raw food is going to help increase transit time in the, in the large intestine so that you can then take the broken down estrogen that your liver has worked so hard to, to metabolize, and then you can excrete it every day in your bowel movement, right? So the, the food chart is based on what you need calorically, but also what actual food you need in terms of its preparation and the type of, you know, food that you're using, um, to help with either production of hormones or the breaking down of those hormones efficiently. So that's the first half. The second half of the cycle is characterized by a speeding up of the metabolism. 
And in fact, you need um, a, precisely 279 more calories in the second half of the cycle. This is just researched and documented. And it's wonderful to know that because um, you want to not restrict your calories in the second half of your cycle, because if you if you do that, which of course is what you've been told to do, right? The 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 toxic mythology is, oh, compared to men, women have a slower metabolism, and therefore they need to restrict calories and work out more high intensively every single day to compensate, right? But the truth is that is that is extremely not that's very far from the truth. You have a fluctuating dynamic metabolism, and if you eat sort of to meet the caloric needs of each of each phase of the cycle, you will have a you'll be like a fat burning machine without really doing anything. Right. And it's it's so much more about working smarter versus um, fighting your body. And so you do have to get over that psychological conditioning of saying it's okay to eat more calories in the second half, but it'll also feel really good because, um, you do have increased, um, ghrelin being secreted. You are craving more calories, more carbohydrates. Your blood sugar is dependent. Your blood sugar stability is dependent on you having more calories, 279 more calories every day. Um, and so in that food chart, you're going to see that there are a whole host of things that are going to help you stabilize your blood sugar while boosting your calories in a slow burning way. So there's, you know, you're going to have your brown rice, um, but because you also need to break down excess estrogen in the luteal phase, for example, the second half of the cycle is the luteal phase and the bleeding phase, um, you know, uh, in order to, let's say, not experience PMS, which you're not supposed to experience, you're going to be eating a lot of cruciferous vegetables that are going to help, again, break down that estrogen for you and get it out of the system quickly. What's special about the luteal phase is that you also need to be producing uh, or have the building blocks to produce enough progesterone, because if you don't, you're going to be like the millions of women who suffer needlessly with PMS. PMS is the hormonal ratio imbalance between estrogen and progesterone, where you have um, more estrogen compared to progesterone. In a healthy luteal phase, you have more progesterone and slightly less estrogen. And if that's the case, then you feel completely fine. You have zero PMS symptoms, like zero. Um, and then the only other thing that you may have is slightly sluggish bowel movements because pr progesterone slows the transit time in the large intestine, but that is counteracted by the diet that you'll be eating when you use the cycle sinking method. So you won't even notice that either. You'll have no constipation whatsoever. So again, by using food strategically to work with metabolic changes and stress response level changes, oh, which I should talk about the fitness piece here in the second half, um, you keep your blood sugar stable, you keep your energy stable, you keep your mood stable, like this whole idea that you fall off the mood cliff and become a PMS monster second half of your cycle. And we joke about it. Again, it's just based on our lack of correct information. You are designed by nature to be the most highly elegant and efficient, um, you know, version of yourself, because whether or not you choose to do it, because of the fact that you 3D print the tiny human beings, right? You have 
you aren't you, it, your body is designed to, let's say, extract maximum nutrition from your food and store it for longer compared to men. Um, your, the way that your stress response system works and your immune system works all in synergy to protect um, you know, this new life, if you were to create it, for example. So, and there's so much more. Um, it's, it's extraordinary to know the reality, which is extremely opposite to what you've been taught, right? You know, we've been basically given that rhetoric of a oh, women are the weaker sex. They're cursed with the pain every month and everything's, you know, it's, you can never change it. If your mom had period problems, you're going to have them. It's just nonsense. It's utter nonsense when you look at the biological reality, and especially through the lens of the infrading rhythm, you have 100% agency over the quality of how your hormones are going to perform and how they are going to impact those six key systems of the body. With the fitness piece, um, in the second half of your cycle, research shows that if you were to continue high-intensity interval training post-ovulation, you will turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting. This has to do with the fact that you have higher levels of cortisol being produced at rest compared to the first half of the cycle. And if you don't downshift your exercise to just, let's say, strength training without a cardio component, which is what you should do in the second half of your cycle, um, you at best, at the end of the month, if you just continue to push yourself and just do the same workout and restrict the calories in the same way, at best, at the end of the month, you will have no gain in lean muscle and you'll have the same level of fat stores as you started off the month with. At worst, you will lose lean muscle and you will gain fat right? So whether or not weight loss is your goal, the, the fact of the matter is weight, weight can become a problem unnecessarily because you are not understanding the fact that you have a dynamic biological rhythm that changes your metabolism throughout the, the month and that requires you to change your pattern of self-care for distinct times throughout the month. Drop the idea that you have to be the same every day. Drop this idea that you have to strive for sameness. That is predicated on male biology. Um, their biological rhythm follows the circadian pattern very closely. They make all their testosterone while they're sleeping. They wake up with this massive dose of it. It behooves them to optimize their physical health and their life to wake up as close to 5 a.m. as possible, to get in a high-intensity workout at that time, to do an extended fast, like an 18-6 fast, um, and then to you know plan their day accordingly to use nootropics starting around 3 o'clock in the afternoon because they fall off the cognitive focus cliff and the, and the energy and stamina cliff. Um, that, that is their reality, and it's rinse and repeat day after day. If you do not have testicles, then you must not function and push yourself to be the same every day because your ovaries are causing you to have hormonal fluctuations that change your brain structure by up to 25% over the course of the month. Um, 
it causes your metabolism to shift in measurable ways, your stress, your cortisol levels to shift in measurable ways. In fact, because your brain is even more complex than compared to the male brain, you need 20 minutes more of sleep every single night. So if you're in a, he a heterosexual relationship and you're like, oh, I should wake up with my partner, my male partner at 5 a.m. to do a power morning routine with him. And if you f don't feel good when you're doing it, don't, you shouldn't have that inner critical voice that says, oh, it's me. I lack willpower and discipline. And, you know, I should push myself. No, I'd like for you to understand that you have a completely different biological reality. And you want to have, I mean, I don't have the same morning routine every single day. I have four morning routines based on which phase of the cycle I'm in. And they all support whatever is happening in that infradian process. I love it. And I just want to highlight something, you know, you mentioned cortisol in the second half and just drawing from your book and in general, this concept that everyone needs to know. So, you know, an increase in cortisol disrupts insulin ability to control blood glucose, right? And that messes with menstruation. It decreases progesterone, delays ovulation, changes the length and timing of your period. So it's very fascinating, you know, in the second half, it's, it's even more prudent to get more sleep. And like you said, exercise at a more low intensity, maybe a nice long walk with some nice weight training that doesn't, like you said, doesn't have a cardio kind of hit component to it. It's really fascinating. And, and, and you're very clear about the way you break this down for food, for creativity, for exercise, you know, as we're sort of closing out a bit, or I want to just touch on this topic, let's talk about sex and how great it is for health. Well, I wrote, uh, I, I wanted to go into the sex chapter because I was again, shocked by the statistic that 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. And then through the lens of the infradian rhythm, of course, that makes a lot of sense because, um, if you don't understand that your sexual response is dynamic, depending on where you are in your cycle, you won't be able to select the correct sexual inputs, right? Which type of foreplay you're using? Are you using lube or not? When I say inputs, those are the kinds of things I'm referencing. You won't be empowered to, to, to know which ones to select. And this explains why we have this phenomenon of sometimes we're like, wow, last week was fireworks and this week was flat. And I have no idea why that is. It must be me. In fact, I have a lot of women who've come to the center saying, oh, I think something's wrong with my sex drive. And when I dig into it with them, nothing is wrong with their sex drive. They just don't understand what, what their biology um, is doing, as none of us do, because where do we get this education? We all come by this, honestly. Um, and then, of course, you have no power to, to control your experience. Um, and the reason why that's so important, as is your original question, um, is that your orgasmic plateau, we have four stages to this, to the arousal process or the sexual response process. Um, one of which is the orgasmic plateau. It's the stage before climax. And it's the most important stage because in this stage you produce in vast quantities, nitric oxide and oxytocin. You also flush maximum amounts of cortisol. Um, and what happens when you're producing these hormones is that you support or boost, I mean, the things you wouldn't even think of like collagen production in your skin. Uh, you certainly boost your immune system dramatically. Um, it, it 
promotes regular ovulation. It improves your fertility. It does so much for you um, that it's it's a critical piece of your health that's underutilized, right? It's like free functional medicine, literally at your fingertips. Um, and, and so I really right, and let's well, let's just say, hey, that includes masturbation. If you're not with a partner, this is still a very healthy thing that you should be doing. I, uh, you know, I think always recommend that women at least have a self pleasuring session twice a week, depending on where they are in their cycle. Um, and that's solo, you know, you yourself and your hand, um, and not with a vibrator. Why, why not a vibrator? At least I love my vibrator. I am, you can have your vibrator. <laughs> what I'm talking about is if you want to, um, extend or amplify the benefits of the orgasmic plateau, you can't rush to climax, which of course you've been conditioned to do by pornography, which is geared towards male sexual response. And, um, your clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings. If you hyperstimulate them with a very powerful vibrator and they just keep getting more powerful, um, you will short circuit them, right? You'll have your one nice climax and then you'll be done for the night, which a lot of you are listening can say, yeah, that's typically what happens. You might get one, um, or you, you'll definitely get one and you might squeeze out a second, but it's less powerful because again, those 8,000 nerve endings have been overstimulated and oversensitized. Which is interesting. I want to interject here. And I'm, again, maybe this is a TMI personal experience, but we're already on this damn topic. So, mm-hmm. um, But I've found that because um, I'm not a fan of vibrators either, and I feel like they're real cheap tricks, and they're they, and nothing in nature does that. It doesn't make sense to me, you know. But I get it. You can have it. Um, in talking about that second orgasm, I think it's actually the opposite with manual stimulation. I feel like the second one is even more powerful than the first. Oh, well, women are naturally multiply orgasmic because of all those eight thousand beautiful nerve endings. And by the way, right, so you're kind of blowing it by using the well, vibrator, yeah. <laughs> but most importantly, you're shortchanging. So let, let's think about orgasmic plateau as um, on the on the scale of like one to ten. Ten being the moment that you sort of have the tipping point and you're having a climax. Okay, so. Um, you want to stay, you want to, in your, in your self-pleasuring practice, right? It's a practice. And I want you to practice breathing deeply into the abdomen as you're self-stimulating. A lot of women freeze and don't breathe. Uh, so I want you to practice breathing, relax your breathing, relax your diaphragm. Um, and then I want you to practice staying between a six and an eight, right? So find stimulation pattern and intensity and locations in on the clitoris that allow you to have sensations that are at a level between six and eight. And you can edge a little bit up and you can edge a little bit back if you feel like you're getting too close and see how long you can stay in that orgasmic plateau. At least 15 minutes when you're doing this practice. This is a medicinal practice that's going to generate massive amounts of oxytocin and nitric oxide that are going to literally heal your body from the inside out 
Um, and it's something that you don't want to miss out on or skimp out on. Um, so give yourself the time. And then when you've given yourself those 15 minutes of good abdominal breathing and building up a lot of nitric oxide and oxytocin, then you can have all the climaxes you'd like, <laughs> because you'll certainly be primed to have multiple, um, at that point, And that's perfectly fine. Um, but I think that we, um, we shortchange that opportunity. And then I'll say one other thing, which is that depending on which phase of the cycle you're in, you are either going to need to uh, absolutely include lubricant in the process or not. Right. And, and so you have two dry phases and you have two wet phases. You do, you want to know which, where those are. And that's all listed in, in this, in the book. Um, and you don't even want to begin a, a, in a session with yourself or a partner without the lube, because you will again, um, you know, stimulate in a negative way, the, the nerve endings of the clitoris in this dry phase, and you will not achieve orgasmic plateau or climax as easily. So you want to set yourself up for success by knowing again, how to change those inputs based on where you are in the infradian rhythm. And you may also need more or less foreplay depending on where you are. So all of this is really empowering information. And the reason why I sound so, let's say, passionate about it is because, um, <laughs> you know, in my TED talk, I, I opened it by saying uh, a quote from Gloria Steinem, which is from a young age, little boys are taught to use their bodies as a tool to master their environment. Whereas little girls are taught to view their bodies as an unending project to work on. And there's a dis the distinction between using and viewing is so critical because the only way that you can use something properly and especially to master your environment is if you are given correct and full disclosure about how that tool works. Right. Absolutely. And little boys are given that information. It's part of the cultural process. It's of part of every TV yeah. show. It's like so easy for a young boy to figure out what to do. Right. To it's mimic body work. Right? Absolutely. But we, we don't girls, ever have that reflected at, right. ever. Yeah. Little girls are taught to keep a distance, right? We're taught to view like from the outside in because we are not given that information. We have no visibility into how to use this tool of our bodies, right? We're, we have to view our bodies from the outside. Like you're like you're that sad little per hungry person staring into a bakery through a pane of glass, hungry for the bread, but you don't know how to open the door, right? And so what I hope in the flow can do for you is um, teach you how to use your body as a tool to master not only your health and your hormones, but absolutely every aspect of your life. The book talks about your creativity. I go into great detail, for example, about those that structural change to your brain when you have superpowers from a verbal point of view, or you know how to actually use that in your life at work. Um, your sex life, your relationships. There's even a chart on how to make motherhood more sustainable. And of course, because you have this second biological rhythm, you need a different way to manage time, right? 
because every time management system you've ever used is only based on a circadian rhythm, the circadian lifestyle, the 24-hour lifestyle. No wonder that doesn't work for us. So I put in here the world's first time management system. It's in chapter six that helps you, that incorporates both the circadian and the infradian so that you can use both to your advantage. Um, your body is designed by nature to be extremely powerful. Um, you have no idea. I, I, I go into some of that in the book just to impress you with you. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to make sure that I gave you absolutely every tool, every advantage, every shortcut. There's even an app you can download so you don't have to remember all this stuff and which to, what to do when and which, where fit, which phase I'm in. That's called MyFlow. Um, I've, I wanted to make this as easy as possible for you to overcome this hurdle of not ever being taught from a young age how to use your body as a tool so that you can start, um, you know, getting in the flow of absolutely every area of your life. This idea of peak flow states for women and how we generate that um, is all based on supporting the infradian rhythm. I, honestly, there's, there's, I, I know we're sort of running out of time here. There's, there's so much in this book. I also just want to throw this out there just because Elisa mentioned brown rice. Don't be turned off there. You can do so much of this paleo or if you've got a gluten intolerance, don't, don't be, you know, turned off by the mention of brown rice or something. If that's not your thing or oh, you've yeah, got you issues with that, it. right. There's, yeah, there's search, so many there's ways so to do this. Yeah. To do <laughs> yeah. I just, I just want to throw that out there, you know, because you know, there's some people that might listen and go, wait, what? Um, oh, no, the book is still very brain. applicable. Yeah. This, this is yeah. a, very, this is really excellent. You also, like you said, you go into motherhood when your daughter gets her period, there's recipes. Um, I suggest this book. I think it's wonderful as well as your first one. Um, but this one, wow, this is just really impressive. Tell us where we can find you and benefit. We've got the MyFlow app we can do, which is great. Um, how can we benefit from you, program services, things where we're like, hi, help us. I'm really struggling here with this, you know, right. menstrual issue or that. Tell us how uh, we can get more of you personally. So if you're having any period problem, infertility, perimenopause, you know, PCOS, fibroids, endometriosis, all those things we talked about, and you need help to get that um, addressed and get out of that hormonal chaos, you want to go to flowliving.com, F-L-O, living.com. And we have uh, our online educational programs, our one-on-one -on -one coaching, the supplements that help. Everything has been designed to help you. Um, I, I really wanted to build the world's first virtual um, menstrual health center. And so we've done that. And so anywhere in the world that you are, if you're having an issue, we can help you. Um, your contribution you is amazing. Really, no one's ever broken it down the way you started with Women Code and what you followed up with um, in the flow. It's really amazing. And it's something that yeah. needed to happen. And I also like it because it is about getting ourselves more intuitive with our own body, which is something that Mark Sisson always talks about, you know, with whether it's eating or not, right? Metabolic flexibility in and out, knowing, hey, you're not hungry, don't eat. You're hungry, eat, right? Or understanding well, I, these I things. So I love this. I talk about Mark's book. As you know, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he's one of the few um, uh, people who've in his wonderful Mark's Daily Apple, um, you know, website would would actually say, hey, you know, some of the research on keto is showing that this can disrupt a woman's thyroid function in her reproductive years. I had n never seen anyone else talk about that. And I always thought 
you know, here's, here's, here's a guy who knows what's up. (laughs) Um, and so I really, I really would love to see more of that gender specificity in all of our conversation around health and wellness and biohacking, because, uh, you know, again, women deserve to have all the information disclosed when a new trend is being introduced or new research is being reported on who the research cohort was. And in often cases, it was male exclusively. And so we should take that with a huge grain of salt to say, oh, if if this diet that I'm going to willingly test on myself isn't working, it isn't my fault. It's because it was studied on men. And you know what? It's not going to work for me. And, and, and that's, that's a great thing for us to know. At the same time, now you know what the correct diet is for you. I've outlined that uh, for you in the book, In the Flow. Um, if you want to download all the fun bonuses, there's so many resources that I put together for women um, for this book. Just go to intheflowbook.com and everything is there on that first page. Great. Thank you so much for your work, your contribution to us as women and everybody go to flowliving, com, and we'll put all of the links to connect with you in your show notes and our show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Elle, for having me. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered with our no dairy vodka sauce made from avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options, from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the Primal Path and want to help others live primally too, then visit PrimalHealthCoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit PrimalHealthCoach.com today to learn more.